0: We are in Acts chapter twenty-seven. Whoa! Wow. Mm-hmm. I uh, reluctantly titled tonight, "Jesus Take the <laughs> Wheel." I mean. You'll see why. You said
1: reluctantly. I thought you were gonna say like something like I titled it the almost end of our <laughs> <Acts> series. <laughs> We've
0: got, including tonight, I think three mm-hmm. more sermons, maybe four, seeing how it goes. But um, we are getting right there towards the end. So we can jump right in here. Acts chapter 27, if you guys remember where we're at. Uh, man, a lot's happened in the last couple weeks. Paul has gotten to Jerusalem. He has been persecuted, arrested. He then was like put up in like the king's palace for two years, where they're just like not sure what to do with him because all the Jews hate him, but he's like, didn't really do anything wrong. And they're trying to do the, the Jews a favor, so they're just like keeping him locked up. And so now where we're at is a new governor took over. They were gonna kind of hand Paul over to the Jews, basically to get killed. And so Paul appealed to Caesar. So that's where we find ourselves now, is they're about to send him to Rome, to go to the court of Caesar. So in verse 1 of chapter 27, it says, And in, when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. Again, this is the, the Augustan, Augustus, like that just means like it's the, the royal regiment or the regiment of the crown. It's kind of the language that they would use. So, entering a ship of Adrymatim, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. So, not sure if you guys remember Aristarchus. I didn't. And I'm like,
1: who who
0: is this? So, I I looked into it. You remember him from a couple of few times earlier in Paul's ministry. He's been traveling with Paul for quite some time, actually in Ephesus when they were looking for Paul and couldn't find him, they grabbed Aristarchus and dragged him into the theater and started accusing him of all the stuff they wanted to accuse Paul of. That's when like he first shows up and he's been basically traveling with Paul ever since then. So Luke is basically saying Aristarchus is with us. So Luke, Paul, Aristarchus, they're all on this boat. They're all going to Rome, plus a bunch of other prisoners who probably also appealed to Caesar or were being sent to Rome to be judged. That sort of a thing. So, They're all getting on the boat, verse 3. And the next day we landed at Sidon. You can kind of see on the map here. So they just kind of popped up here. That's kind of Tyre and Sidon. They're like two major ports. So it makes sense that they all always go there, pick up a load or pick up people, and then they, they shoot off. Landed at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. We've seen this Since Paul's gotten, basically since Paul has told them, I'm a Roman, they've kind of given him this treatment. Like, you're under arrest, you're, you know, in chains, but you kind of have some freedom to come and go as you please. Your doctor can come and see you. That's who Mook is. You can go see your friends, because Paul knows a lot of people in that area. So, when we put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus, because the winds were... Contrary. So, this is Cyprus. We're in, uh, if you see the fourth missionary journey, that's where we're at. So, the blue line is what we're doing. So, uh, under the cover of Cyprus. So, uh, yeah, the winds are contrary. This Mediterranean Sea is like that. Annie and I were on a boat going from island to island when we went to Greece. And it's not as scary now because the boats are, like, awesome. But we were in a storm, and in the movies, you see the, like, boats going up the wave and then, like, going to the peak of the wave, and then boom, and then, like, it felt like that. And we were just like, whoa, and, like, people were getting sick and throwing up, and it was, like, I was, like, imagining, like, man, this is the kind of storm... That they were being caught in in these like rickety boats. So it's
1: crazy because it looks like such a small little portion of water, like enclosed in there.
0: No, it's massive. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and uh, just on the map, I'm like, oh, that blue thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Ooh, so basically, this area gets really crazy. So that's why he says under the cover of Cyprus, they kind of tuck around, stay close to the coast, so they can kind of get away from some of the craziness. Verse five says, and when we had sailed over the sea which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia. Okay, so this is actually where Paul's from. If you remember, they call him Paul of Tarsus. That's where he was born and and raised, and then he moved to Jerusalem when he was pretty young. But uh, Cilicia is here. You can see that's like the area where Tarsus is in. So this is possibly Paul's last time to being this close to home. Also, Antioch is always where he, when he comes back to this area. He normally goes to Antioch. That's, like, where his home church was. Like, this is, like, Paul's stomping grounds, and this is probably the last time he's going to see it, and he's seeing it from a boat. Like, there he goes. Like, this is towards the end of Paul's life. He's in his 60s now. It's about 62 AD. He dies in, there's some questions, either 64 or 67, somewhere in that area. So this is, he's not going to be coming back this way. So... They sailed past Cilicia and Pamphylia. We came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy and put us on board. When we had sailed slowly many days. Again, this is because of the weather. They're not moving real fast. They're trying to be careful. They're uh, sailing slowly for many days. And arrived with difficulty off Canitis. The wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmoni. That's actually, Salmoni is, it's actually right on the tip of Crete. It's not labeled there, but it's... It's uh,
1: not
0: t- it, You can say salami. Nobody knows how it's said, so you can say however you want. <laughs> so, the shelter of Crete off uh, Salami, for Jasmine... <laughs> passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fairhaven near Lacia. So that's actually labeled. You can see that. Now, much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over. Paul advised them. Before we get into what Paul said, this thing about the fast was already over, that is the Day of Atonement. So it's still celebrated by the Jews, Uh, They don't know it, but it's all pointing to Jesus. The Christians are also celebrating the Day of Atonement, celebrating that Jesus did fulfill and that, that he is our forever atoning sacrifice. It's no longer a sacrifice of a lamb to cover the sins of the nation of Israel. It's now Jesus is our sacrificial lamb. He is the forever atonement for us. So that was still a big deal in the culture. And so he's basically saying... The fast is over, and he's telling us that so that we know what time of year it is. This means that it's late September or early October. Basically, he's saying it's not a great time to be sailing. Like It took way too long for us to get here, and at this point, like we should not be sailing because the seas just get way too crazy, especially to make that long. That's like a lot of open sea to get over to Rome, which is where they're going that is just like way too much to to happen. So, it's late September, early October, and it's starting to get dangerous. So, in verse 9, it says Paul advised them saying, "Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives." Paul here is giving some good advice based on his perception, based on what he knows. And sometimes we don't really speak up. We don't say some stuff that we're a little bit worried about. Sometimes you might even have strong feelings about something. You might not say it because it's not our expertise. And it's like, well, you know, these people know what they're doing. Like if they say it's safe then you know, the guy's like, I've sailed it a bunch of times. It's no big deal. We're going to be fine. Paul's like, "Ah, let's like just hunker down and not go anywhere. so don't always be like shooting off your mouth but if you have strong feelings and you see that people aren't being wise it's a good thing to give your thoughts like hey i i have a bad feeling about this and this isn't in my notes but um johnny and anthony probably remember this and annie and i have this sort of agreement too that if we were planning a trip or planning to go somewhere maybe even if it was just for a day If one of our friends said, I don't know if we should do this, guys. Like, I just don't have a good feeling about this. We had made a decision at one point. I don't remember how this happened, but we had made a decision. If anyone ever says that, we're just not going to go. Or we'll at least discuss it. Like, we're going to take that seriously. When I was like, ah, it's fine. It's not a good idea. If someone says, I really don't have a good feeling about this. Listen to them, and, and again, even if you decide, you know what, I, I'm just stressed because of this, that, and the other thing. Okay, let's just keep moving forward, you know. But at least pause, take a second, talk about it, because it might be the spirit giving you that perception so that you you pay attention and you don't get yourself in in a bad situation. You know where we got that? I don't remember where we got that.
2: <laughs> well, we used to we used to break people's houses, and if any of us said. Not feeling it, we drove past.
0: <laughs> That's true! That's very cute. Because from. we thought we might get caught. And we never did! <laughs> <laughs> Until yeah. the world,
2: we but, were having a bad feeling and we were with Christian <laughs> and. Anyway, okay. we got caught by
0: That's true. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> because our
2: intuition. <laughs> uh, we weren't praying to God about it. <laughs>
0: but that did, once we got older and a little it's bit like, more mature, it, it, developed, it, into it developed into, hey, and I, I remember Nina doing that at, at least once where yeah. she was like, I don't have a good feeling about this day trip that we're planning. Okay, we'll go tomorrow or we'll go next week. Like like if you're not having a good feeling about it, that could be the spirit prompting you to, to say something. And when the spirit does prompt you to say something, say it. And if people don't listen, that's, that's just how it goes sometimes. Yeah. But maybe think about, pray about having that within your friends. If somebody says, I'm just not having a good feeling about this, Listen up, and and also you want to be careful with that because sometimes if people know that's a rule, they'll abuse it if they just I don't want ever to go. to <laughs> <laughs> Hey, if you want to hang out? I'm not feeling it. <laughs> um, oh man, I get that all the time. You do. Yeah? So I ignore it because
1: I'm like, no way, like this. My like, I like get weird about stuff.
0: Of- and you need to you need to know, right? It could be it, it could <laughs> it's be anxiety. into practice. Yeah. yeah it could be anxiety and you're like I don't want to go and, and so you have yeah, you to learn be, how to you have to figure out how to decipher the two yeah. but it could be the spirit prompting you like that mm, situation don't step in there don't go yeah. don't, don't go that direction. So pray and, and God will help and help you sharpen that tool mm-hmm. for sure yeah. uh, especially if you know anybody who also gets those feelings and they have developed that that's a good way to well a oh, lot uh, we did it
2: every day anti yeah yeah that's true that was another part where it had developed but i think in the context of what's happening here is i think if you are praying and asking god to give you a check (laughs) or a warning to not to do something then pay attention to it but you know test it yeah it's not just
0: like I'm just going to go on every whim or intuition. Sometimes you don't know. And and even the Paul's language here, he's not saying, hey, God told me we shouldn't do this. He's like, "Eh, I perceive this to be a bad idea. Mm -hmm. I don't have a good feeling about this. That's that's the language that he's using. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He's just saying, I think that this is going to end very poorly. Mm -hmm. Our ship's going to, like, not just our ship and cargo, but we could die. And that's my perception. That's what it looks like is going to happen here. Mm -hmm. So that's where Paul's uh, at. So... If you get that feeling, um, again, don't just go shooting your mouth off and, like, be, like, tossed by every wind and, like, ah, my feelings. You know, but prayerfully and respectfully say, hey, like, I have strong feelings about this. This is what I see happening. Don't be afraid, even if it's not your expertise, to, to say something. And I say that because verse 11 says, nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by paul so a couple of things here number 1 is we've talked a lot about wise counsel here on wednesday nights and so instead of me just like saying it again i was just going to let you guys answer what is wise counsel i think proverbs
2: says there's wisdom in the counsel of many it's not just like you and one other person like if it's wise it's gonna pass through a couple different people and it's not like oh we let people decide anything for us but you know you know, there is such a thing as like in this case is experience and using wisdom which you know Paul you know was trying to avoid a disaster but you know he also had the wisdom of his experience mm-hmm. being around here and it was like And then further on in here, I think it kind of reveals itself a little bit, but it's personal motives. I think you have to avoid the personal motives because that's when you get your wisdom. But the more personal motives are in there, the less it's just, it just becomes more of a you thing rather than Hmm. like something that you're willing to have someone say, Hey, like, no, or that might not be a good. You know, it's just like being willing to be wrong about the situation and putting it before other people. Which in this case, you know, he he said his two cents, and they said forget
0: it. Yeah. So, you know, yeah.
2: it was God's will or not?
0: I mean, it happened. You know, right? This gets on. And the we'll be, we'll get more into that. Yeah. But Paul is giving wise counsel. We we know if you know the story, yeah. Paul's giving some wise counsel here. Any other thoughts about, like, what is wise counsel?
1: I mean, any counsel that's in line with what the Bible said is obviously wise counsel, but that wouldn't apply to, like, weather situations.
0: Circumstantial, sure. But
1: other situations, like, if someone's talking about, like, their life situations or stuff like that, then I feel like wise counsel can always come from... Bible or biblical truths.
0: Yeah, that's good. Again, like you said, with circumstantial stuff, you're, we're still, again, Proverbs over and over and over, like, tells us to seek wise counsel, you know, there's safety in a multitude of counselors, that kind of language. So what I'll say about, like, what is wise counsel? Wise counsel is counsel that comes from godly, Bible-believing leaders in your life. And I'm not saying just leaders, right? But people who you say, I would follow them, People who you say, they're someone I can receive counsel from. They're Bible-believing. They're godly people. That's wise counsel. Now, I'm not saying that you can't get counsel from your friends. But again, lots of places in the Bible, but mostly the wisdom literature, older people are said they're they're wise they have more experience they've they've been through more things they've they've been walking with God longer older leaders are spoken of as wise so yes have friends that you go to but again a, there's safety in a multitude of counselors have have many people like oh, well they said this I'm going to test that and see this this person's also a godly bible believing person that I respect um, this person said this. What do you think about that? And have that council be happening? That's and why Rehoboam. I, I was just gonna say oh. that. <laughs> yeah, that, that comes to mind, right? Yeah. And, and that's that's good. Like, like that's supposed to come to mind, right? And the funny thing about Rehoboam is he was the son of Solomon, who is said to be the wisest man other than Jesus to ever have walked the earth. The wisest guy, right? when we have lots of solomon's writings and most of them say my son do this don't do this my son this is wisdom my son this is foolishness my son this is wicked like very specific things writing to his son so his son then takes the throne and he is going to make this decision and they're like hey like win the people over by lightening the load of your father a little bit that that's The wise counselors of the wisest man on the planet, that's what they told the wisest man on the planet's son to do. Mm -hmm. So realize that, that the wisest guy wasn't like, I don't need wise counsel, I am wise counsel, God has given me wisdom, I don't need wise counselors, no. there's safety in a multitude of counselors said the wisest man. So even the wisest man surrounded himself with wise counselors, and those people tell his son how to act and he rejects what they say and he listens to his younger, cooler, hipper friends mm-hmm. and gets himself in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Yeah, can
2: I add some? Yeah. Oh, yes. Definitely stimulating my mind. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the flip side of that also is looking for wisdom and who to ask because there's some people that we'll ask a multitude of people, but they're people that they haven't watched their life at all. Like they just know them or, you know, getting like a new circle of friends or something like, let me bounce something off you, something like that. You have to watch someone's life to know if they fear the Lord and have wisdom. So it's like you could ask some pastor or something, but you don't know what this guy's life is like. And I say, I think that's kind of like, what the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? Like, well, how much is this person like actually fearing the Lord in their life? How much can you actually trust them? You can only trust them as much as they trust Jesus. So if you are just meeting these groups of people and you're kind of like, yeah, they're Christian and you know, they read the Bible, like that's actually not enough. You have to actually watch yes. them and the wisdom will come out.
0: I have. You know? Yeah. I, I have a mm-hmm. lot of people that I know who are, godly, Bible-believing people that I wouldn't ask advice from. Right.
2: That's like, well,
0: I know that they're Christians. I know they love Jesus. I know that they, they try and live according to the Bible. I wouldn't ask their advice. Right. Because I there's some lack of wisdom there. You know, you don't go around saying you're not wise or you're a fool or anything <laughs> like that, but the Bible gives us outlines of what wisdom is. Mm. And if that's not present, that's not. then they're not wise counselors. Wise counselors are not people who Willy nilly don't know what they believe. Maybe they go to church sometimes, or maybe they don't go to church at all. That is not wise counsel. Wise counsel is very clearly laid out. Mostly, like, older gray headed leaders who are, like, been following God for a long time. Mostly the Bible says that's who you should trust. But there are, of course, also, like, friends who you know, like, okay, they've lived a lot of life. They trust and love Jesus. They follow and, and, and have good stuff to say, and when they talk, I, I receive from God. That's a wise counselor. So, some things to think about about wise counsel, which Paul is giving here. Also, getting back to our story here, the second thing I wanted to say about this verse, right? The the, the centurion, he is more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship. This helmsman, the word is actually pilot. Right, that's like what the word kind of means. and It's not a pilot the way... That we think of, about a pilot like drives the airplane, right? He wasn't necessarily... Sometimes the pilot was also the captain, but there is a difference there. In, in this time period, there was the pilot who was the nerd. The, the, the pilot had charts and books and scrolls of stars of the sea. There's a reef here. There's rocks over here. When, uh, when we're going to be traveling, this is what the stars are going to look like, and that's what we need to follow. They were super nerds. They had spreadsheets about their spreadsheets, and they were like, they had all the math figured out. They knew the day they were going to leave. The, this guy's probably <laughs> freaking out because they're behind schedule. You know, he's, this guy is an expert in what he does. And if you see some of these books and scrolls of, like, ancient pilot scrolls or whatever, like, it's amazing. Like, the stuff they figured out and learned and charted. It was it's just really really cool, but these guys were like super nerds, and I I and wanted to kind of talk about that for a second because if you remember when we went through our the spiritual gifts series, we talked about the gift of administrations, and um, I'm just gonna you don't know, have to go there, but really quick I'm gonna go to First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28 says and God has appointed these in the church first apostles second prophets third teachers. After that, miracles and gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. So it's basically saying, here's the leadership, apostles, prophets, teachers, and then all the other gifts are under that authority. Not that those other ones are more important. Paul just got finished saying in 1 Corinthians 12, they're not more important, but headship exists, meaning God sets up authority, God sets up people to lead. And that's the leadership—apostles, prophets, teachers. Under that is everybody else. That's basically what Paul is saying. But that gift of administrations—that's mentioned in that verse—it's the same Greek word, a little bit of a variant, but it's the same word that it has to do with pilotship. Okay, so that is the same Greek word that means like pilot. So when you're like looking, thinking about it as a spiritual gift, yeah. These are your planners. They love to plan in detail. They have their spreadsheets. They have their footnotes on their footnotes, and they take notes, and they're you know very into that whole thing. And again, this is a little off topic, but I want to point to it because this is how my mind got when I was researching that stuff about the gift of administrations. When I saw that this word in this verse was linked to that word, I was like, wait, what? And it's a very interesting link because... That explains what that gift of administration is. So with that being said, when it comes to, we're not talking about church or spiritual people here in this situation in Acts right now, but we can take a spiritual truth from here. When it comes to the authority of the spiritual gifts, as we just said, apostles, prophets, and teachers are the leaders and everybody else is is under them, right? That's how God set it up. Even though it's the expertise of the administrator, of the planner, of the, of the pilot, right? If they have that spiritual gift and like, hey, here's the plan. Here's what we're going to do. I figured it all out. If the leadership says, yeah, we're not going to do that. The administrator, as frustrating yeah. as they might be, <laughs> they need to submit to that authority and realize, okay, even though this is my expertise and I know what I'm talking about. The leader is saying we should not be doing this thing. Again, I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's what Paul is basically saying. We should not be doing this. And the the pilot and the owner of the ship are like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go anyway. So they convince the centurion that they should they should go on. Again, this isn't church, so it makes sense that they're not submitting to Paul here. But uh, in a church situation, that's how we need to view things, is even if it's our expertise, if the leadership says, no, we're not going to do that, okay, you're the leaders, let's submit to that. So the centurion is more persuaded by the pilot and the owner of the ship. Verse 12, and because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening toward the southwest and northwest, and winter there. Now, it was just last week that I was encouraging you guys to get out there and and vote whenever that time comes, and to use that voice that our law has put in place for you, that our law has given you a voice, like, hey, get out there and vote. Like, I was just encouraging you to do that. So I don't want to sound like I'm contradicting myself here or or discourage you at all, but I will say that historically when everything's left up to a vote, right? They just took a vote. The majority says, "Yeah, we should go." Right? When everything is left up to a vote, it doesn't normally end well. And and I'm not saying that voting is bad, but I'm just saying historically, biblically, when everything, when there is no leadership, when everything is led by the majority, it just doesn't end well. It, it ends in idolatry and destruction. Like, that's, that's where being led by the people, uh, that's where it leads, especially if the word of a wise and godly man is ignored. And, and again, we see this many, many times where a, a wise man, a godly man will say, like, hey, uh, this isn't a good idea. And everybody else is like, Oh, you don't think so? What's everybody else think? Ah, I voted, and it doesn't ever end well. And we've seen it historically. We've seen it biblically. It's just not a good situation. Um, sometimes when we do something that we shouldn't be doing, a godly person will kind of call us out on it. Maybe a wise counselor will say, like, "Hey, what are you, what are you up to? What are you doing? I'm like, that doesn't seem like a good idea." And. They'll give us advice. They'll offer a little bit of a warning maybe sometimes. And our response is like, well, everybody else thinks it's a great idea. So you're outnumbered. Not a good idea. If there's somebody that you love and respect, their wise counsel in your lives. If they give you something, you should should at least consider it. You shouldn't just be like, well, I want to sin, so I'm going to just keep doing whatever I want. Like your your counsel doesn't matter because everybody else says it's cool. Following the ways of the world or the majority, it's not the way of God. It's not the way of righteousness. It's not the way that Jesus set us set up for us to, to walk in the spirit. So consider that if there's something in your life that somebody that you love and respect and a and wise counselor kind of says something to you, consider what they're saying. Don't just blow it off because everybody else says it's a great idea. Don't reject the will or the Word of God just because you want to have fun or just because you want to do whatever you want to do. If Jesus is really our King, then doing the will of God and listening to and finding out what His Word is, that should be the most important thing in our life. So if something's pulling us away from that, we need to refocus, especially if a wise counselor comes to us and and kind of tries to pull us back or refocus what we're doing or Calls us out on a weird thing in our life. Whatever it is. I don't know what's going on in your life. But basically, like, don't always listen to the majority. Rather, seek that wise counsel and look for what God wants you to do in the situation. Let's continue with our story. Verse 13. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, right? Oh, that's clear. It's looking better. (laughs) Let's get out there. Putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. Again, they're trying to stay by the land. And... Try and be as safe as possible. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Eurocliden. So, when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. We let her drive. In a storm like that, holding on to the wheel, right, it could destroy the whole steering mechanism or, or the rudder of the ship could just snap off and in that sort of a storm also (laughs) keeping the sails up and trying to like manipulate uh, the the ship and go into the wind it could really damage the mass if you've seen like movies like Master and Commander they're in a crazy storm like this they're trying to get the sails down and it just snaps off and breaks and it, it flies off and then it's like weighing them down so they're taking the sails down and They draw them in, they tie them all down, and then they let go of the wheel and they they let her drive. In storms in our lives, a lot of the time we try and maintain control or stay the course. We fight against the spirit sometimes. We keep our sails up like, no, I want to keep going this way. Or uh, we hold on tight to that wheel because we don't want to feel like we're out of control. But this is this is wisdom sometimes, to know when there's nothing that you can do. And to just trust God. And not like the song, like, just take your hands off the wheel, like, <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel! I'm not saying totally that. We'll, and we'll get into that a little bit. But there's an old prayer that goes, like, it kind of got popular in the 1930s. It goes like this. It says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. <laughs> I like it. You may have heard the prayer. It's a very popular prayer within, like, 12-step programs, AA, things like that. It's something that they pray to God for wisdom to just to get through everyday life, and I was reminded of it this week, a friend of mine made this really crazy, awesome post. This guy was like an alcoholic before he was 21, uh, went through rehab, early 20s, has had kind of a rough life. He had this really weird, rare sickness where his brain wasn't functioning properly, not because of the booze, or maybe, maybe but like it was years and years later, and He, like, almost died. They thought he was never going to walk again. Like, crazy stuff. And and he totally turned his life around, cleaned up, and he's walking. And by all accounts, like, a a normal dude. But he made this post. It's actually kind of similar to what we've been talking about. I've been using language of, like, the tapestry and God using those dark threads in the beautiful parts of your tapestry, right? He was saying that your life's a painting and sometimes when you're so close to the painting you see these like certain details and that's all you can see is is what what looks like a mess, but Jesus is stepping back and he knows what your painting looks like. And he posted a picture of this, and he's got it hanging on his wall. And I was just like, Man, that's awesome and, and his whole point was like, you just need to trust that God's got the perspective and that he's in control. And sometimes you don't know if you can control the situation, but you can trust that he is good and he's got your back. So, Wait,
1: what's
0: that saying? <clears throat> this prayer that oh, I ser- It's called the Serenity Prayer. Mm. So, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Jesus said to not worry about tomorrow because tomorrow's going to worry about itself, or it's it's got its own worries. Right? Every single day has something else to worry about. He wasn't. Saying don't make a plan, I made this mistake earlier in life where I was like, Well, you know, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got worries for itself, so no worries, no plans. If I make a plan, God's gonna change it anyway. So I'm just gonna sit around and wait for God to like give me a miracle to show me what to do with my life. And I was lazy and I and I just didn't I just didn't do a lot, I didn't make a plan. That's not the kind of life Jesus is saying to live what he's actually saying is don't be anxious about the things that you cannot control right don't don't be worried all the time about tomorrow you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow you could get in a car wreck and it change your whole sometimes you're just doing everyday planned life and then you get a flat tire or, or something bad happens so don't worry about those bad things going to happen just make that plan and try and carry it out so it's not Make no plans. Yes, make the plan, try and carry it out, but when life happens and you can't control circumstances, sometimes you just gotta let her drive. And trust in God in those situations. Verse 16, And running under the shelter of an island called Clada, we secured the skiff with difficulty. Now, it seems that they had thrown the skiff. Some of your versions, it's like kind of weird how it reads. It might say like the boat of the ship. You're like, what's the boat of the ship? And there's a small boat, a skiff, on board the ship that they used in an emergency, kind of like a lifeboat. Well, it sounds like they threw that overboard. I saw this in a movie, and I, and I researched it more for the story, <coughs> that they would use it kind of like a sea anchor. So in a crazy storm, if you... Drag something behind you it would keep you from going up the wave at a weird angle and then toppling over so it sounds like they threw the skiff overboard so that they could have sort of like a sea anchor keep them straight because they weren't able to steer or they weren't able to have their their sails up so they threw that over once they kind of it calmed down then they like had a really hard time getting the, the dumb skiff back in the boat Um, but back to the analogy of like that storm in your life. Again, I'm not just saying like, Jesus, take the wheel. I don't, I'm not going to try and do anything. It's all, it's all your control. Do what you can, right? In those tough situations, those storms. And again, I don't know what's going on in your life. Maybe you haven't had many storms in your life, but you will eventually a storm will come. And and I hope that this will help you in those times and you'll kind of come back to a moment like this where you can say, I can't control these things. I'm just going to. I'm going to trust God, but in the things I can't control, I'm still going to do whatever I can to to not just be blown by every wind and and go into the waves and t- to topple over. I'm going to do something, everything that I can in this situation, doing all you can, but still trusting that God is King and ruler over everything, and that He's ultimately in control and He's He's got your best interest in mind. Sometimes people say that God's in control. And what they actually mean is, I'm not going to do anything. Like, kind of like I said when I was younger, oh, God's in control, right? But sometimes when people say that, what they're actually saying is, I'm not going to do anything until a miracle happens to tell me what to do. But God has told us many things to do. And if we're either going through a time of, I have no idea what to do, or you're going through that storm... Focus on what God has t- said in, his, in the Bible and do those things. If you don't know what to do, get involved in, in people's lives. Help the widows and the poor. You know, love people better. Like, there's a lot of very specific things that God says to do in the Bible. It's, sometimes you feel like, oh, it's a christian answer. But it's not. Because if you're not faithful in the small things, God's not going to give you the big picture plan of what to do with your life. If you can't just do the things that the Bible says, he's not going to give you your actual purpose in life. Show that you can be faithful in the small things, and then he'll, he'll let you rule over more and and, and mean big things. Verse 17, uh, when they had taken it on board, this is the skiff, of course. When they taken it on board, they used cables to undergird gird the ship. And fearing lest they should run aground on Surtis sands, they struck sail and so were driven. The hole seems to have taken damage here, so they're undergirding that, and they're also in uncharted territory. They don't exactly know where they are, and what they do know is they've gone farther south than they want. And this would be kind of like we, we've heard of uh, the Bermuda Triangle. This is like the area that ships disappeared. So they had this idea of the Surtis sand. They thought that there was like this quicksand that was under the sea that would grab ships and then pull them to the bottom. So that's what they're like. Oh. Like, it, And they it's kind of uncharted. They just know like we're farther south than we should be. Let's not stay here. Let's try the sails again and try and get north.
1: Is that where the arrow starts to go down towards Malta, or are they close to Greece?
0: Uh, they're actually, like, somewhere in this region here still.
1: Oh, okay. They did not
0: make it very far. Okay. The, uh, yeah, so far. the island that they mentioned, the Klada or Kata, depending on your translation, mm-hmm. is, like, in this area here. Um, so they kind of went farther south. Okay. And they obviously knew the name of the island, but that was probably like, this is not a good place that we we should not be in this area. So let's let's throw up the cereal and let's get out of here. Yeah, mine says the
2: sandbars of Cerdas across the African coast. Yeah. Which would be south of
0: Fairhaven. And again, they did not know where exactly they were. They just knew they were tossed yeah. by the storm. And so they were like, we should not be going any farther south. Verse 18, and because we were exceedingly tempest tossed. The next day we lightened the ship. Again, this indicates that the ship had taken quite a bit of damage, and they were taking on water. They were like literally sinking. <laughs> so let's sink slower. So they start throwing everything overboard. Verse nineteen. On the third day we threw over the ship's tackle. <laughs> we threw the the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands, it says. So this tackle this word tackle people will argue about what exactly it means but basically like some people say like the furniture or people's personal effects or the ship's equipment basically it was everything that wasn't tied down that's that's the basic idea they're throwing everything over like and the fact that he says that we did it with our own hands uh this indicates that there was a lot of urgency And it's not just the shipmates, it's not just the people who work on the boat, it's literally everybody is grabbing everything and throwing overboard. So nobody knows what was thrown over, it's literally, if it ain't attached, throw it overboard. So everyone is just tossing their stuff over, trying to not sink. So again, we see that there's urgency here because everybody's getting involved. We did it with our own hands. Verse 20. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, again, they don't know where they're at or what direction they're facing. They don't know what's going on. And no small tempest beat on it. So the storm continues. All hope that we would be saved was finally given up. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened To me, (laughs) Paul gets up and says, I told you so. And I'm sure what they're thinking is, Paul, we know you said it. This is not the time to get into it. We're starving. We're hangry. We don't know where we're at. The sun's not shining. The stars aren't giving light. We don't know. We don't know. Just stop. Like, this is not the time or the place. But Paul continues, man, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. What Paul does not say is, this was all part of God's plan. <laughs> in fact, I-, I was thinking about it, I can't think of anywhere in the Bible where that kind of language is used, especially not in like a really bad situation. <laughs> like, this is all part of God's plan. Ah that's not what Paul says, and that's not what Paul believes. He says, this should not have happened. (laughs) Like, you should have listened to me. Again, when I was younger, I used to have this sort of uh, YOLO philosophy about life. And you probably heard things like this, but I would say things like, everything in my life that I've done or has been done to me, it's it's made me who I am. So I don't have any regrets. That, That kind of... Idea, and I was a Christian when I was saying these things, and my my thought was, well, God's in control of everything, God's doing everything, so it's all for a reason. So I have no regrets, regrets because that's that's what God wanted to happen, and that's not true. It's not that's not he biblical. He wanted you to sin, <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly that, and that's where you get into hairy, hairy theology. So you you know who did have regrets was Paul. <laughs> Paul had regrets. Peter had regrets.
1: Even God had regrets in Genesis. (laughs) That's
0: true. That is very true. David had regrets. Solomon, Abraham, some of the most wise and godly men in the Bible say, I should not have done that. That was not God's will. That was against God's will, and I regret it, and they repent. That's actually why David is called a man after God's own heart, because Yes, he did some wicked things, but every single time he came to God with a truly broken heart, God, I let you down again. And that's how we need to be when we sin, is to take it seriously, not be like, well, it's all part of God's plan. No, that wasn't part of God's plan. You screwed up, and you should regret it. You should repent. And that's what Paul says. This should not have happened. You should have listened to me and not sailed from Crete, and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you. Wow! This is some some big promise from Paul. There will not be loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying... Do not be afraid Paul you must be brought before caesar and indeed god has granted you all those who sail with you therefore take heart men for i believe god that it will be just as he told me however we must run aground on a certain island as i said sometimes ungodly people they'll find god because of wise counsel sometimes there's there's wise counsel and they'll find God because of that whether they listen or maybe they don't listen and then they see the thing happen and they'll find God because of that thing. Paul is saying, I've warned you once and look what happened. It's time to start listening. So there, there's a time and a place to say I told you so not to rub it in people's faces but to say it's time to start listening and they do. They do listen to Paul, and we're going to get into that more next week. We're going to stop there tonight. But in, in closing, um, we're stopping right in the middle. I know, <laughs> but, um, I don't know if everybody on that ship became believers. The, the, the story pans out in a very interesting way, but Paul and his submission to God's will, it was a ministry to everybody on that boat. And they saw God working in Paul and around Paul, and and he they see that God's promise to Paul is fulfilled because God is in control. Now Paul was not like Jesus, who was like sleeping during a storm on that boat, right? Uh, oh, you little faith! <laughs> you know, Paul's only human; he was afraid, and we see that because the the angel shows up and says, "Paul, don't be afraid." That shows that Paul was afraid, <laughs> and he should be. Even though Jesus told him, you're going to Rome, you're going to minister in Rome, and you're going to stand before Caesar, Paul knows that's true, but he's still like, I don't know, I don't see God getting me through this. you know. So he's, he's kind of in, in a state of fear here. <coughs> but once the angel shows up and reminds him what Jesus already told him and tells him what God said, Paul was able to be the one to tell the rest of the people on that boat, don't be afraid. He was the one to say, take courage, take heart. God showed up. He sent a messenger. And now I'm the messenger to you. It's time to, to start listening and do what I say because God told me that you're all going to be saved if that's the case. So don't worry about those things that you can't control, those situations that get hairy because God has spoken. That's what Paul is saying. God has spoken, and he never breaks his word. I believe that this, it's going to happen exactly how God said it, because God said that you're all going to live. He didn't say anything about the boat, and he did mention we're going to have to run on, a like, basically crash land onto a, an island, but no one's going to die. So we'll leave it there tonight. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for always uh, keeping your word and for always being in control and being good all the time. God, thank you for being trustworthy and and showing so many times in so many ways that you have time itself in your hand. And when you say something, it will be fulfilled exactly how you say it's going to be fulfilled, God. So thank you for that reminder and for giving us courage in the times that we cannot see the outcome, that we don't see the silver lining. God, thank you for still being in control. And I pray that when it (coughs) becomes dark in our lives, that we will focus on that, that we will be able to lean on and trust in you in the times that we we can't see you or we can't feel you or we can't hear you, Um, that we will still be able to trust in your goodness and your kindness and your love for us and your love for the world. I pray that you bless the rest of this evening and help us to give courage to those who need it also this week, God. Praise you in Jesus' name, amen. You
1: know,
2: I never noticed it this time that that passage, <clears throat> it's such a clear, I, I never noticed it until like we read through it just now. But the first thing he says about the storm. The word of knowledge, like he knew this thing and like it was wisdom, right? Yeah, It was knowledge. And then when he says it to them, remember what I told you, then he actually prophesies to them. (laughs) And then with the prophecy, there's actually encouraging, yeah, like the edification next to it, but very clear differences. Because some people can think a word of knowledge is like, oh, I'm this fortune teller and I'm, you know, that kind of thing. But it's super... Distinct, yeah. From the beginning to the end, i would never noticed that until like just now. Yeah, that is like clearly both things, but and
1: the word you're saying the word knowledge is the first thing he the first said, thing he said, which yeah. is like clearly not prophecy because he says we'll have loss of life.
2: Yeah, so exactly. it's like a
1: knowledge of that bad things will happen, even though it's not like the accuracy of a yeah. prophecy. Of I'm God I want to look into that, that more,
2: but that's like. It's really distinct, yeah, on like the difference because a lot of people they mix up what that difference is, right? right. Because I mean, again,
0: exactly, it, it was not prophecy, yeah, because exactly. he said there's loss of life, but it is wisdom, it's it, a word of wisdom saying yeah. we should not be doing this, guys, even yeah.
1: though the worldly <clears throat> smarts of the other guy says, Well, I according to yeah. my charts,
0: and again, we Jesus says. And it says it in, God says through his prophets multiple times, and then Jesus also says that I'm, I'm saying this yeah. to you, so when it happens,
1: <laughs> yeah. you'll
0: know that a prophet was with you.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm. And and that's... There's more weight on the thing. Yeah. And Paul didn't know that the Spirit prompted him to say something. He didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but he knew this is a bad idea. I don't have a good feeling that, that I got to check in the Spirit here.
1: Mm. Mm.
0: But when it happened, he was able to say, I told you, God, God, he he wants to protect you. So I told you once, and now it's time to start listening because he told me he's going to get you through it.
1: He's using the word of knowledge to like aid in right. ministry later on when he was prophesying and encouraging.
2: Yeah. And the other the prophecy came by an angel of God telling him, the what is it, the night before, or what was it? That night, oh, yeah. that night, yeah. So it's like, man, that's good. That is like really good distinction. Yeah, I have never caught that.
0: That is really. Good. But it's
2: like, yeah. I mean, I don't want to say. I don't really get into it. But I think I think like it's important to exercise the gifts with wisdom in both arena. Because I don't like he wouldn't have said we're gonna like you're all gonna live and we're gonna be on an island. Unless he had the confirmation, yep, yeah. mm-hmm. and that's the, the the thing that I was going on in my mind is like, man, if an angel were to come and tell me something, how would I test that to make sure it wasn't some demonic, right, misleading? But you know, you know, it's clearly not. Yeah. false prophecy or whatever.
0: It's because not like it against happened.
1: anything right. biblical either. Like,
0: and it tests what that check in the spirit becomes more true because like, this yeah. is exactly what I said was going to happen. Yeah. yeah, But except for the death part because God showed up and said that I was wrong about that.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: right? yeah. yeah, interesting. Huh? What does she say? What does say?
1: Well, I think that when they finally decided to let go of the steering wheel that they Start singing Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> and it got passed down to generations, but that's only right. in that's, one that's family. And then Carrie Underwood was like, "I'm gonna find me
2: something." <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's such a thing as omission. If you know to do good and you don't do it, you're sinning. You know what I mean? It's like you can't just say, "Oh, God's gonna handle it all," and I'm just mm. gonna like coasty through right. so life. You know, it's like I love the point that you said of, like, there's literally so many things of instructions on what to do with life. Yeah. We shouldn't even be asking what to do with life. (laughs) It isn't like so much of it's there. I mean, someone someone said in this uh, sermon, they said, when I'm asking God for direction, if I don't know what to do, I do what I know to do. Yeah. (laughs) Because I have enough. I have enough information on like like for example, say I'm going through a trial or I'm waiting for something, trying to have patience through something. Like, there's instructions on how to have patience and how to like. It's literally our instruction booklet. So, yeah. And so, but I, you're right. Is people are looking for that, the Rama, just to happen, and rhema? not like yeah, Rama versus logos as far as like the word like there's there's different like logos is like you know the written word but yeah. rama is like road to, to Damascus yeah um, I actually meant
0: to, to yeah. say this is Jesus said a wicked and perverse generation seeks a sign but no sign will be given except for the sign of Jonah mm-hmm. and he says elsewhere I, I think it's in the story of Lazarus but maybe even another place They don't need somebody to show up and tell them Mm -hmm. from the dead. They have the law. They have the prophets. His point over and over again Mm -hmm. is, like, in Jerusalem, he says, there won't be no sign here. Because you don't need the sign here. You have the law. You have the prophets. You have the... You you have God's word. So you don't need miracles. Because miracles are to draw you into God's will and word. Right? So... It's interesting that Christians so often are like, well, God needs to show up and point me in the direction mm-hmm. that I'm supposed to go. It's like, that, he that, is. I, that, that you have the word tough. of yeah. God telling you which direction to go. Yeah. And you're just sitting around clicking like on Facebook and watching <laughs> TV. like that. It, it, I'm not saying that obviously we all have Facebook and we all watch TV. But I'm saying like... There's yeah. too many Christians who do yeah. nothing because, well, God didn't show up and tell me. It's like, yes, he did. <laughs> well,
2: you'll, you'll, go, you'll get in the back and forth with those believers. Like, well, what about this specific thing? And you try to explain to them what you've been saying this entire time. Well, yeah, it doesn't give you an answer for who's my husband or who's my wife or what job I should have or these life decisions. But what we well, were saying earlier, Says seek wise counsel. Yeah, those things instructions, mean, yeah. like Johnny was saying, in in patience, there's instructions to pray, there's instructions to fast, there's yeah. instructions to do all these things. Yeah. And Christian, mm. and, and even you said, oh, it's a, Chris- cheesy Christian
0: answer, da da da. Except no one does it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was
2: gracious. Yeah. I love. Ah.
0: Uh, <laughs> There's yeah, like these, uh, this, a lot of pastors actually say this when people come to them and they're like, yeah, hey, I, like, I don't know, like, I haven't heard the word, like, I haven't heard God talk to me recently. Like, I don't know what I, I should do. But there's one pastor that I've heard, and I think a lot of pastors do this, but he always says, what was the last thing that God told you to do? And they're like, he's like, almost every time they say, well, he said to do this. He's like my next question always is always did you do that? Mm-hmm. And he's like almost every time the answer is no. well I guess I nope. I guess I didn't follow through on that. <laughs> That's why you're not hearing God's word anymore. That's right. So he's gonna stop talking because he already told you what to do. Start moving in the direction that he told you to move, and he'll continue guiding you. Yeah, if right. you just sit around, you're not gonna an angel's not gonna pop up and start directing you, because you haven't proven yourself worthy of that, you haven't proven yourself faithful enough to accept an actual mission.